continuing this series that we started a couple weeks ago called Forever. Everybody say forever. Give me a little four fingers up like this. Say forever. Man, we have been going through this series, and I have been challenged. How many of you have been challenged in this series so far? All right? I have been challenged. I think today I'm really going to challenge you with some stuff. And what we have been doing in this series is we've been talking about relationships. We've been talking about love. We've specifically been talking about the marriage relationship. And we've just kind of kind of hit everybody a little bit. We've kind of talked to those of you that are not yet married, but one day you want to be married. You hope to have the kind of marriage marriage that God intends for you to have. And what we've been trying to do is trying to invest in your life and invest in your marriage here on the front end before you ever even get married so that you will have some tools and some things to help you when you go into that marriage relationship so that you can have the kind of relationship that will last forever, the kind of relationship that God intends for you to have. We've also been talking to some of the married couples that are here. If we have any married couples in the house today, if you're married, raise your hand. What we've been doing is we've been making these four commitments, four commitments that I believe are biblical commitments that I believe can really make a huge difference in our marriages and in our relationships if we will make these four commitments to God and to our spouse and to our relationships. And so what I want to do is if you've been here with me, I want you to say these aloud with me. And if you haven't been here, you can say them as well because they're on the screen. They're on your notes here today out loud with everything we got. Let's look at these four commitments. The first one is we're going to seek God, fight fair, stay pure, never give up. Come on, say it again. Seek God, fight fair, stay pure, and never give up. One more time. Seek God, fight fair, stay pure, and never give up. What I hope is that you will remember these commitments, that you will actually memorize them, but not just that, that you will internalize them, that you will make these commitments things that you say, we're going to live by these four rules in our marriage. And I believe that if you will live by these four rules, that it will make a huge, huge difference. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to create relationships relationships that will last forever. So let's just kind of review it just for a second. The first week we talked about seek God. So everybody say it, seek God. You might remember what we said. We said, hey, God is our number one. Instead of running around in life and looking for the one, oh, he is the one, oh, she is the one. No, we said that God is our number one and our spouse is our number two. And we're going to seek him first. And we're going to go after God with everything that we have. And if you're, if you're single, what we say what you're going to do is you're going to seek God while God prepares you for the two. You're going to seek the one while preparing for the two. And then we talked to those of you that are married and we're saying we're going to seek God together. Everybody say together. Seek God together with our two. And we gave you all a challenge that hopefully you're doing uh, well on this. And we said for 30 days, we challenge you to pray together with your spouse or with your significant other every single day. Could I get a show of hands, those of you that have been praying every day with your spouse, with your significant other? I see a few doing a good job there. I'll just be honest. I've been doing that real as, as best I can, but I missed a few days. Anybody missed a couple of days in there? But you know what? If you miss a day, just pick right back up where you left off and just continue to do the best that you can. Then last week we talked about fight fair. Everybody say fight fair. 
And what we said last week is that every single relationship, you're going to have conflict, you're going to have some times when you disagree, you're going to have some arguments and some fights. But in healthy relationships, we're going to fight fair. And we said, here's what it means to fight fair. To fight fair means that we're not fighting to win the fight, but instead we are fighting for resolution or oneness in the relationship. And when you begin to live like that, it'll make all the difference in your marriage and in your relationships. Amen? Now, today, we're going to talk about some tough stuff. Tough stuff today. We're going to talk about stay pure. Stay pure. I want to start this morning by just asking you a couple of questions, and I I need you to participate with me today and raise your hand on these today. How many of you today, it is your intention to one day, whether you're married or not, one day to have an affair. Raise your hand if that's your intention. I'm telling you, I don't see anybody raising their hand around here. Okay, let's do it. How about this? How many of you, it's your intention, guys or, or ladies, one day to get addicted to pornography? Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody? Raise your hand. I'm not seeing anybody raise their hand on that. How about just like have like an emotional affair? Like not even, not, not do anything, touch or anything like that, but just like, you know, just kind of get emotionally involved with someone that's not your spouse. Anybody? Raise your hand. I'm telling you what, it's quiet in here, isn't it? I mean, nobody even wants to look like they're raising their hand. And the truth is, what's so crazy is that when I ask questions like that, you look at me with this crazy look on your face like, why would you even ask us that? Because the thing is, nobody ever sets out to have an affair. Nobody ever sets out to fall into pornography or to fall into uh, sexual immorality or to get into an emotional relationship with someone other than their spouse. Nobody really wants to do those things. But when we look at statistics, we find that statistics tell us that over half of all marriages will do one or more of these things within the course of their marriage. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody sets out to have an affair. Nobody sets out to commit adultery. And yet we see it happen over and over and over and over again in our society today. And why is that? Why is it that we don't want to do these things, but we wind up doing these things? And I I think the reason is is that, that we never set boundaries in our lives, and we never set up things that decide, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to ever fall into that kind of sexual impurity or immorality in my life or in my marriage. So in this message today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about purity and we're going to talk about staying pure in our relationships and in our marriage. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to set some boundaries and we're going to try to dig down into this thing and we're going to learn what it means to be pure and to live pure and to have purity in our sexual relationships and in our marriage. And we're just going to, we're going to look at this stuff. And what I want you to do is if you have your Bible today, I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. And I I think this might be one of the best verses in the entire Bible when it talks about staying pure in the marriage. It's on the screen there. I want you to to see it and read it along with me in verse number 4. Look at what it says. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Everybody say pure. pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now check this out. Marriage is to be honored by who? 
by all. Okay, so what is that talking about? That's talking about those who are married and those who are not married, right? Marriage is to be honored. The marriage bed is to be honored by all and is to be kept pure. And check this out. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. You see, purity matters. It matters to us. And it matters to God. And and here's the deal, is that most of you here today, if I were to ask you, do you think purity really matters? Most of you would say, yeah, I think so. I mean, if I were to take a survey, and I'm not going to do that today, but if I were to take a survey and say, you know, hey, would you raise your hand if you think that adultery is always wrong? I guarantee you that 99.9% of you, probably 100% of you, would raise your hand and you would say, yes, adultery is always wrong. If I were to say, hey... Is, is getting addicted to pornography, is sexual impurity, is that wrong? Most of you would raise your hand and you would say, yes, that is definitely always wrong. And how do I know that? I know that because statistics tell us that even in a, in a non-Christian culture, even among those that don't go to church, 90% of all Americans that were surveyed said that adultery is always wrong. And yet, even with the 90% who said, that's always wrong, we see half of those people are committing adultery and falling into this kind of sexual sin. And we see it growing more and more and more. In fact, the University of California did a study and they found that just in one decade between the years of 1998 and 2008, the percentage of people committing adultery in our country has over doubled. So if we believe this stuff is wrong, if we we believe that purity matters, if we believe that we ought to stay sexually pure, if we believe these kind of things, and even people that don't go to church believe this kind of stuff, if we believe it, then why is this stuff happening at such an ever-increasing rate in our culture today? Well, I think there are a few reasons, and if you're taking notes, I I want you to write a couple of these down. The first one is this, is that there are more temptations today than ever before. If you agree with me, would you raise your hand? I mean, there are, I mean, the, the truth is, it is so much easier now to get yourself in trouble sexually than it has ever been before. I mean, even just like 10 or 15 years ago, you know? And I mean, we got, we got stuff like Facebook and social media and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with Facebook. I'm on Facebook. In fact, Facebook can be used for many great things. Some of you are here today because you saw the church on Facebook or someone invited you to come on Facebook. There's, there's nothing in itself wrong with Facebook. But here's what happens with Facebook and some of these other social, social medias that we didn't have even just about 10 years ago is that, you know, it's it kind of it starts innocent and you just see, oh, that's there's somebody that I used to think was cute when we were in high school or an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend in high school. And so you just, you friend them on there because you don't want to be mean when they ask you to be a friend. You start looking at their pictures and then you start remembering, oh, how I felt about him or how I felt about her. And then it's not very long. And this happens all the time. It's not very long until, until you're kind of, you know, you're messaging each other back and forth. And then it's, hey, let's meet up. And then it's all the way down that slippery slope and you find yourself in place that you You never intended to find yourself being, and it all started with just something that seemed so innocent. And it's not Facebook's fault. It's our fault. 
But there's more temptation than ever before. You know, one of the greatest, greatest temptations that we have is just right here. I mean, cell phones and iPads and stuff like this that we have right in our hand all the time. I mean, you know, back when I was a kid, if you wanted to get involved in pornography or something like that, you kind of had to work at it. You had to, you know, go somewhere and buy a magazine and all of that kind of stuff, right? But nowadays, man, any 13-year-old kid's got it right there in their hand, and they can just click on something and all of a sudden see things that you would never want them to see, and it's immediate. It's right there at our fingertips, and there's more temptation now than there has ever been in the history of our world. Check this out. Number two, I think another reason that, that we're seeing so, many, so much sexual immorality, so much adultery, and those kind of things is that people are getting married later and later in life. Now you say, well, Pastor, is it, is it bad that we get married later in life? I don't think there's anything inherently really wrong with that. But you've got to admit that that changes a few things. It, it, it kind of it makes things a, a little bit different. The dynamics of things change. I mean, what does it change? Well, in our, in our society, most people who are not Christians and even some who are Christians don't necessarily do the whole dating thing the way that God intends for us to do the dating thing, Right? And so when we get married later in life, here's what happens is, you know, you, you date more and more and more people. And then when you're not doing your dating relationship the way God intends for you to do dating relationship, then what happens is that you date more people. And then when you date those people, then you become sexually active with those people, right? And then if you're dating more people and more sexually active with more people, and then it's like, you know, four or five or six or eight or whatever. And then you've got all of this baggage that you bring into the marriage you start dating someone and then you become sexually active with that someone and then before long it's hey I'm gonna leave my toothbrush at your place and you can have a drawer over here at my place and then you know hey then let's just kind of hey let's move in together we want to save one rent and we start doing things that married people do and yet we're not married and then whenever you get in a fight what do you do well we're not married we're not connected so let's just move on move on to somebody else and you do that four times or five times or six times or eight times and then when you finally do get married then when there's trouble and when there's problems you just go back to what you've always known because you've been training yourself for divorce all of this time I know it's hard to hear but it's it's true and here's what I want you to get if you're taking notes I want you to write this down you don't build a life of purity on a foundation of sin the best way to prepare for a pure marriage tomorrow is to live a pure life today. And if you want a godly marriage one day, then you've got to build it upon a godly foundation that you are living today. Now, here's the good news is that, hey, if you've messed up in that area, we have a God who is full of grace and mercy. Somebody say hallelujah for that. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, that all things have become new. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And God can forgive and he can restore and he can bring grace and mercy to the situation. And praise God for that. But here's what we've got to understand is that when we bring all of that baggage from the past into a marriage and into a relationship, it's going to make it a whole lot more difficult. You know what the scripture says? The scripture says we reap what we sow. And so if we sow those seeds of impurity, then we're going to reap some difficulties in our marriage and God's grace is big and God can help and all of those kind of things but there are consequences let's move on to something else number three here's another reason there's a growing sense of entitlement everybody say entitlement we live in probably the most 
entitled generation ever. We want something, we're just going to get it. See something I want? Well, I, I'm entitled to that. I ought to have that. I deserve it, right? And that's what culture tells you. You deserve it. You deserve a break today. Just get what you want. Do what you want. And so you know what it does? It carries over into marriage. If I'm not getting what I want out of marriage, well, I deserve to get what I need. And so if she's not meeting my needs, well, then I'll just go and look at something that will meet my needs because I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. If he's not meeting my emotional needs, then I'll just find somebody at work that will meet those emotional needs because I deserve it. And what we've done is we've made happiness our God. So I got to be happy. We bow down at the altar of, of happiness because that's... That's what the world tells us, and that's what, that's what America tells us. It's all about the pursuit of happiness. So if I'm not happy, then I'll go find a place where I can be happy. If I'm not being fulfilled, I'll go find a place where I can be fulfilled, and I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. And all of these things, these shifts, these changes in our culture, all of these temptations and all of these things that are changing in society today are contributing, contributing to more and more and more families that are breaking up, more and more and more marriages that are being destroyed, more and more and more adultery and sexual immorality and all of those kinds of things because it seems like in, in culture we have decided that purity doesn't really matter. But I'm here to tell you it's not a popular message it's not the one that I'm going to get the most amens at this morning but purity matters it matters to God and it ought to matter to us amen Amen. so how do we live sexually pure with all of this kind of stuff that's going on in our culture with all of this kind of of shift in our culture and all of these all these temptations that are around us well I want us to look at it for a minute today and I want us to talk about two different kinds of purity today and then we're going to pray together and ask God to help us in this area the first one we're going to look at is we're going to look at outward purity everybody say outward purity now when I'm talking about outward purity what I'm talking about is I'm talking about our behavior talking about the way that we act and the things that we do and the things that we don't do. And I want you to see what Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 3. Look what he says. But among you, there must not be even a hint. Everybody say a hint. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, it's just a little thing. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just like a little, I mean, come on, just a little, that's not going to bug anything or bother anything or cause any problems well let me just put it this way all right just imagine that you had you know you want some drinking water right and imagine that there were two different bottling companies maybe you had Ozarka and then you had Nestle or something like that and imagine that Ozarka decided that that they only will allow oh about three percent or so impurities in their water. So in the water, I mean, it's just it's just 3% or so of rat poo, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just it's just 3% of, you know, of of mouse hair and rat urine. I mean, I mean, it, it's only 3%. It's no big deal, right? But then there's another bottling company that says, "We're not going to allow any rat poo in our water." We're allowing 0% impurity in our water. Now, how many of you would choose 3%? How many of you would choose 0%? That's right. I don't want no rat poo in mine. You know what I'm saying? No rat poo for me. Hold the rat poo, please. Amen. It reminds me of this story that I heard about this, this dad who was 
having a little tea party with his little three-year-old daughter. And there they are, you know, and they're having so much fun. And he's just talking about how, you know, how delicious the tea is. And, of course, you know, if you've had a three-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. It's water, right? And so he's sitting there on the floor drinking the water, talking about how delicious it is. And she just keeps getting up and going to get some more water and bring it back in. And he's just drinking it and doesn't know what in the world it is until mom comes home and starts to watch. And she thinks, oh, that's so cute, until she sees the little girl walk into the bathroom. And because she can't reach the sink, she's getting the water. water out of the toilet, right? And y'all are like, toilet water? Oh, that's gross, right? I don't want to drink toilet water. Well, let me tell you something. When we're talking about impurity here, we're not talking about a little bit of rat poo in the water. We're not talking about a little toilet water. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about poison. Poison in the water. Cyanide. In the water. And how many know if there's 3% cyanide in the water, it doesn't matter that there's 97% water. The 3% cyanide is going to destroy you. It's going to kill you. And here's the deal. Impurities in our life, we may think it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. But here's the thing. It is a big deal, and it will destroy us from the inside out. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your children. It will destroy everything that you love so we've got to do what paul says not even a hint not even a hint of sexual impurity let's just do a little little thing here and let's just play a little game have a little fun all right i need you to answer yes or no to a few of these questions here today all right we'll start we'll start with the big stuff first would Committing adultery with, oh, ten people or so, would that be a hint of sexual immorality? Yes or no? I hope all of you said yes to that one. How about this? Would sleeping around with 75% of people you date before you're married, would that be a hint of sexual immorality? Okay, well, how about this? What about just, you know, just looking lustfully at images on the screen? I mean, I'm not hurting anybody else. It's, it, nobody else even knows about it. And yet, it breaks my wife's heart. Would that, would that be a hint of sexual immorality? Yeah. All right. How about this? What about dressing provocatively so that everyone says, oh, look at me, and drawing attention to areas that shouldn't be drawn attention to? Would that be a hint of sexual immorality? Yeah. Ladies, what, what about this? What about reading, I don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey or... Magic Mike, or would that be, come on, would that be a hint of sexual immorality? What about, guys, what about just checking out the girl that walks, you know, by at the gym? Oh, man, she's looking good. You break your neck to look over there. How much sexual immorality would that, would that be a hint of sexual immorality? What, what about this? What about, what about listening to music that's constantly talking about bumping and grinding and sleeping around and having one night stands and lifting that up and making that making that right and good would that be a hint of sexual immorality you see where i'm going with this don't even let a hint of sexual immorality i know this is old school preaching but i think we need some old school preaching sometimes don't, don't even let a hint you know you know what paul said about it in the book one of the, one of the corinthians you know what he said he said flee flee all sexual immorality. You know, you know what he's saying? He's saying, run, Forrest, run. 
Don't even get close to it. Don't let that poison into your life because it will destroy you. You know, it reminds me of the story of Joseph. Some of you might remember the story in the Old Testament of a guy named Joseph, a guy who loved God with all of his heart. God had a dream for his life, and he wasn't perfect in any way, but yet he followed God all of his life. And you might remember the story how God began to promote him, and there he was. He became the leader of all the servants among Potiphar's, among Potiphar's house and, and Potiphar's wife. I'm sure she was probably pretty good looking because Potiphar was a rich dude and he had money and he could, you know, he had wealth and power and I'm sure he attracted some pretty nice looking ladies and the Bible says that Joseph was a handsome man, kind of like your pastor. I mean, he was good looking and young and I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. And she says, hey, come and sleep with me. And the Bible says over and over and over. He said, no. He said, no. And he would not even go around her until one day he couldn't avoid it anymore. And she grabbed him by the cloak. And what does the Bible says that, say that he did? He left his cloak there and he ran the other direction as fast as he possibly could. And I'm telling you here that we've got to be people who flee every form of sexual immorality. That we will not even let a hint of sexual immorality into our lives because it is a poison that will destroy us from the inside out. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 5 and 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into the fires of hell. Now, is Jesus being literal here? Hey, gouge out your eye. Cut off your hand. Well, I hope not because we'd have a lot of one-armed cyclopses running around here, you know? (laughs) What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, avoid all forms. In fact, he's saying, deal swiftly with anything that would cause you to fall into sexual immorality. And that that might mean taking some extreme and some desperate measures. But he's saying, do whatever it takes. You know, I I heard about one group of men who were so passionate about staying pure for their marriage that they even signed up. They decided that every year, once a year, they're going to take a lie detector test in front of their wife to say, yes, this year I have been sexually pure. My eyes have been pure. My heart has been pure. My mind has been pure. That's pretty extreme stuff. But I'm telling you, sometimes you got to go to the extreme. And some of you may need to set up some boundaries in your life. It may not be taking a lie detector, but it might be saying, hey, you know what I'm going to do is I'm I'm going to put a program on my computer or on my iPad or on my phone like Covenant Eyes. I'm going to go on there and I'm going to sign up. Well, I can't afford for that. Well, you know what? You can't afford not to have that kind of stuff on your computer to say, hey, I'm going to be accountable. It might mean I get into a men's group or I get into a women's group or I find someone in my life to help me, to hold me accountable. It might be that I say, hey, there's certain channels that we're just, we're not going to pay for that package that has those channels because I want to keep my eyes pure, my heart pure. It might mean, hey, Hey, I'm going to cut the whole, the whole cable bill. I'm going to cut the whole thing out because I cannot afford it. It might mean, hey, I'm going to stop reading some of those romance novels that give me a worldly view of what love and what sex is really all about. It might be, hey, I'm going to cut off some relationships or I'm going to stop listening to some music or watching some movies or some TV shows that will cause me to fall into that kind of stuff because it's, it's cyanide in the water and I don't want to destroy my life and to destroy the things that I I love the most. 
outward purity. Second thing I want you to see is, I want you to see about inward purity. And here's what I want you to get is, outward purity is really just symptomatic of what's happening on the inside. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 23 and 25. It's not on the screen, but I want you to see it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. And here's the deal. Bottom line is this, that we can try our best in our own human effort to be outwardly pure. But the thing is, if we don't do something about what's going on on our heart, then we can try really hard and we can work really hard at it, but we will eventually fail because we're human. We all have fleshly desires and we all have, we all stumble and we all mess up and we all fall, even in this area of our life. If we just try to do it by just trying to grit our teeth and just by our own sheer determination try to live outwardly pure, eventually we'll fail. So here's what has to happen. You got to change what's happening on the inside. You've got to let, allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart and to begin to come inside and begin to change your earthly pleasures and your earthly desires and begin to change your heart. See, David was talking about this in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119 and verse 9. Look what he says. He asks a really important question. How can a young man keep his way pure? Man, I think... That's a pretty great question. When you talk about all the stuff, all the temptation, all the things that are happening in our society and our culture around us, that's probably a question we ought to be thinking about. How can I keep my way pure? And look what he does. He answers his own question in verse number 10. Or verse number 10. He says, I will seek you with all of my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands, for I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David says, hey, here's how I'm going to keep my way pure, by living according to to the word of God. I will seek God with all my heart. Isn't that what we've been talking about in this series? That instead of going around seeking the one, I'm going to make him the one. I'm not going to run around seeking a date. I'm not going to run around seeking a mate. I'm not going to run around seeking to fulfill my earthly desires, but instead I'm going to seek God with all of my heart. And I'm going to let his word come in and penetrate my heart until it begins to change me from the inside out he says I will hide his word where in my heart it's the heart that matters it's in the heart where purity begins and when we decide hey I want to live pure I'm going to allow the word of God as it's being spoken today I'm going to allow it to penetrate my heart but not just that I'm going to get into the word and I'm going to hear it and I'm going to memorize it and I'm going to put it in my heart until what happens is that it begins to transform my heart and suddenly over time we begin to see that the desires that we used to have begin to change as God's word begins to transform us and as he begins to transform us eventually we stop wanting the things that we used to want quite so much eventually we start desiring to please God and to serve him and that becomes the desire of our heart and it doesn't mean that the temptation goes away the temptation is still there but when God begins to transform our heart when he becomes the one and everything else is secondary to that then even when the temptation is there I don't want it it's not as strong anymore I don't want it quite as much as I used to because instead what I want to do is I want to please the one 
one. I want to please the one who has given himself for me. And it changes us from the inside out. Jesus says like this in Matthew 5 and verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. And look what he says where it happens. In his heart. Why why was Jesus saying this? Why why was he taking the standard up a notch? Because he was saying, hey, let's get down to the very heart of the matter. Let's get down to where it starts. It starts on the inside. If you want to have outward purity, you got to start by allowing God to come in and bring inward purity. And it all, it all comes to this place where how you respond to the word of God. I will hide his word in my heart. How, how can I keep my, my path pure, my life pure by living according to his word? I, I will allow the word in my heart. I will guard my heart from, from all of these things, all these impurities. I, I don't want to allow anything to pollute my heart. And when the word of God speaks and penetrates my heart, because that's what the word does, the Bible says in Hebrews that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it cuts down to the joint and to the marrow, and it penetrates our heart. And so when I hear the word, here's what I'm going to do. Instead of allowing the, allowing the soil of my heart to be hard, remember the parable of the sower remember how there were different kinds of soil and instead of allowing the 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 soil of my heart to be hard so that the the seed comes but it doesn't go down and it doesn't take root and it doesn't begin to produce fruit in my life instead when I hear the word of God like we are hearing the word today instead of being offended or instead of pushing back on that instead I'm going to receive the word of God down in my heart so that it might transform me and change me from the inside out Today, God wants to speak to you about this area through his word. And when, when he speaks to us, there are typically a couple of different ways that we can respond. I mean, the, the first one is sometimes we respond with defensiveness. Oh, that's not me. Or why are you talking about that? You shouldn't even be talking about that. Or, man, you know, guys are just this way. and That's just the way that we are. Or... It's not really my fault, or if she would do this, then I wouldn't do that, or if he would meet my needs, then I wouldn't have to go to those places, or well, we're only friends, and it's really none of your business anyway, or she shouldn't have been checking my computer, and it's real easy to start being defensive when the Word of God deals with our hearts. But if you're being defensive, I I would just tell you today, allow God to come in and soften your heart. Don't harden your heart towards what God wants to say to you today. Another way that we respond is we might respond with remorse. And remorse kind of goes like this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have done that. I'm sorry that I have been that. I'm sorry that I've allowed that. But here's the thing is that many times remorse goes like this, I'm sorry that I got caught. Or I'm sorry and I feel bad about it, but I don't intend to do anything to change it. But the correct response to the word of God when he convicts us through the word is repentance. Everybody say repentance. Repentance goes like this. God, I recognize I've sinned. It's my fault. It's nobody else's fault. I'm going to turn away from it. You know, what? That, that's what the word repent means. It means I was walking this direction. I turned around and I walked the other direction. And I don't just feel bad and I don't just feel sorry and I don't just express remorse, but I decide, 
hey, I was going this way, and I recognize I know that it's not right, and God's word has convicted me, and his Holy Spirit has convicted me, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go the other direction. And maybe, maybe some of you here today, that needs to be the response. You say, hey, I recognize there's some impurities. Maybe it's just a hint of impurity, but, man, I can't allow cyanide in the water because it will destroy me, and it will destroy my marriage, and it will destroy everything that I love, and I'm not going to even allow even just a hint. I'm going to flee. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from it. And that might mean that, hey, today you repent repent to God, but that also might mean that, hey, you might need to talk to your spouse, and you might need to tell them about some things, and you might need to you not, not need to bring some repentance there. And can I tell you that if your spouse comes to you and shares some things with you, let me just, let me just uh, encourage you. And here's what I pray. I pray that you will recognize how difficult that would be for them to do and how much courage that would take, and that you would, you would greet that repentance with mercy and with grace and with forgiveness rather than with judgment so that there can be restoration in the relationship. Because here's what, here's what we got to know. Impurity is a poison. Sexual impurity is, an, is a poison. It, it'll destroy everything that you love. And nobody, nobody sets out. Nobody raised their hand and said, yeah, hey, one of these days I want to commit adultery. One of these days I want to be addicted. One of these days I want to fall into sexual sin. Nobody raised their hand because nobody intends to do that. The reason that it happens is that we never intentionally set up boundaries in our lives to keep us from doing that. So here's what I would encourage you today is that you would make the decision. I'm going to set up some guardrails so that I don't wreck, so that I don't go off the road, so that I can stay on the right path that God has for me. And Yeah, I know. I know it's all around us and it's hard. And, and the thing is, man, it's more difficult now to stay pure than it's ever been in the history of our world. But with the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, with his word alive in your heart, with setting up some boundaries and using some wisdom in your life, you can remain pure. And here's the thing. If you're here today and you say, man, I've already gone too far. I've already taken it to a place that, that I shouldn't have gone. Well, the great thing is, is there is mercy and there is grace. And God is a loving God. And he is a God that is so kind. And he is quick to forgive if we just come to him. And let me tell you, God doesn't set up these set up these boundaries in our life because he's trying to keep something from you that you might enjoy. Here's what he's doing. It's he's trying to keep you from pain. He sets up these boundaries in our lives especially in this area to keep you from things that would hurt you from the poison that would destroy your life and he's not a mean God that's just trying to keep you from having fun he's a good God and a loving God he's a father that just as a father when I see my children when I see them playing in the street or doing something that would harm them I say hey let's don't even go close to that come back this way because I want to keep you safe I want the best for you and for your life and the thing is today as your pastor that's why I preach messages like this because I love you and I want the best for you I don't want to see you in a train wreck I want to see you have the blessings of God on your life and if I believe that for you how much more does a loving heavenly father care about you and how much more does he want what is best for you and for your life today you may have went too far but here's the good news all you got to do Just turn around and start walking back towards Him. 
just as the, the father was in the story of the lost son. He's standing there and he's waiting. All you got to do is take that step towards him and he will run towards you. The scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and he will forgive us. And look what it says he will do. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I think we could use the word impurity. He will cleanse us. He, he is the water purifying filtration system. When we come to him, he removes, he wipes the slate clean and he makes us pure in his sight.